the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense, and in the house today with us, and we are proud and happy to have, once again, Dina Ology. How are you? Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Glad that you're, uh, and actually we can say that, right? LarryRosenthal.tv. That's right. We're we're getting ready to get, we're actually live on LarryRosenthal.tv on YouTube, and we'd love for you to go out there and take a look. We're just kind of experimenting with some new graphics today, and figuring out some new things so hopefully that you guys can enjoy that while you're out there the rest of you on the, the radio we're glad to have you as we always are thank you so much for joining us today on wava and sirius xm 131 that's so, right so dina wow. what are we talking about today well i've got a bit of a market update a lot of stuff happened this week and uh after we get through that I want to just get down to basics. I I have so many people who will tell me, eh, I can do my own financial planning. I can invest my own money. You know, I I don't need a financial planner. And I want to make sure that when people who are listening to this program think of financial planning, they don't just think of investing. So I want to talk about what financial planning really is And then I want to talk about a couple of specific areas of financial planning, and that's life insurance and long-term care planning. Awesome. Yes. Um, So um, (laughs) let's get to it. Um, This past week in the market, the Dow lost eight-tenths of a percent. The blue chip index is still up 13 and a third, though, through yesterday's close of business. This is the best year the Dow has had in some time. Um, The S&P 500, which is a broader index, was up almost half a percent this week. The S&P is up a little over 13 so far for the year. The NASDAQ, which, as we know, is a bit tech heavy, uh, made up some ground this week. The NASDAQ was the big winner for the week, up almost 2 percent. The NASDAQ's lagging the other two indices, but they're still up over 9 percent year to date. All three major indices are on track for another double-digit year. As long as nothing rocks the boat, right? Mm-hmm. So, I not have any. Where's my, where's my wood? No. Okay. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Um, and across the globe, global stocks weren't weren't uh, weren't vastly different this week. Overall, investors are sort of hanging on 
pondering this latest bit of inflation data. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. The yield on the 10-year Treasury declined to its lowest in a month. The 10-year Treasury is at 1.47%. We look at the 10-year Treasury because that gives us a bit of a forward look into investor expectations. When that yield goes down, that means investors are buying more bonds and driving the prices up. Some would call that a a flight to safety. Mm -hmm. If investors are nervous about this whole inflation idea, they may sell some stocks and buy some bonds just to wait it out. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, investors are betting that the Fed isn't tapering economic stimulus anytime soon. So that could bode well continually for the markets. I still believe 2021 is going to be a positive year. And as I said just a moment ago, all three major U.S. indices, the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ, they're on track for double-digit returns this year. Oil prices are still on the rise. At price, The price per barrel of West Texas Intermediate Cruise closed at crude, sorry, closed at 71.05 a barrel for as a point of comparison one year ago any guesses what that price was i don't remember actually what was it a little under 39 dollars a barrel <laughs> so we've gone from 39 dollars a barrel up to 71 in the span of a year wow. last year when oil prices bottomed out because hey we were all at home we weren't driving our cars we weren't mm-hmm. going to the pump that price per barrel cratered out We knew that that could not persist. We knew that that price per barrel was not sustainable. And we're seeing that at the pump right now. I I just filled up this morning at at roughly $3 a gallon for regular unleaded. So, um, so I've seen it as high as three ninety in some parts of the country. It's you know, it's not it's expensive. <laughs> well, it is, it is, and and much of this is that pendulum swinging back to where it was before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is is really anxious and and unsettled about all of these inflation measures. When in reality, we're reflating. Much of the inflation numbers we're seeing is it's a reflation to pre-COVID levels. Now, some of it is a little beyond, and I think we'll see a a, a bit of a surge in inflation during the summer because, hey, we are all just we, – we've all got cabin fever. A lot of us have been working from home, curtailing our activities, keeping our, our little pod of people really small, and people are venturing back out. And when people venture back out, what do they do? They spend their money. Yeah. yeah. And when you've got a whole lot of people buying a whole lot of stuff, that can raise prices and that can cause an inflationary spike. I don't believe the spike that we're feeling right now and that we probably are going to feel through the rest of the summer. I don't think that's going to be a sustained thing. As with all metrics, though, we're going to watch it. And as the the pattern as the trend becomes more clear we will modify our portfolios and make our and give our advice accordingly what so does that right say now, for uh, sorry excuse me. what does that uh, say what does that say for travel with all these prices and stuff going up well if you're a person who likes to drive your car long distances you're going to pay more at the pump you're mm. going to it's going to cost more to drive your car i just bought a plane ticket to fly home to see some friends in tennessee and i 
paid quite a lot more for this ticket than I paid a year ago to go see to go to the same place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a ticket a year ago, didn't end up getting to take the trip because COVID, and so I had a, a credit with the airline, and that credit did not cover the new ticket. So I I think we're going to see that type of thing. Now, if you're going on a cruise line and that type of thing, I think there may still be some incentives because the cruise lines were particularly hard hit. Um, I I think they're doing all they can to incent people to come back on the big boats. So it really, I think it depends. If you're looking to travel this summer, I think it depends on the type of travel that you're going to be doing. Yeah, I agree. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123 to give us a call here. Speaking of Texas, we've got uh, Kevin on the line with us. Kevin, welcome to the show. How's your, how are you doing, and what's your question for or, uh, Dina today? Hey, Kevin. Well, it, it's not a question. It's a correction. Dina said that the price of fuel went down because of COVID. Uh-huh. It had nothing to do with COVID. It was down way before that. It had to do because oh. we were pumping oil prior to the COVID, Mm-hmm. And that's what reduced the cost of oil and the cost of the fuel at the pump. So it was down way before COVID. So that would be an incorrect statement. Hmm. Um, I, I appreciate your input, Kevin. Thank you. But that pumping of oil led to an overabundance of supply. And when COVID hit and we quit driving and we quit going to the pump, it made the price per barrel go down even further. Appreciate your commentary. We're both right. Yeah, I like it when people are both right. Yeah, he's listening to the radio there, too. You're going to get a little ah. confused there, Kevin, when you when you do that, unfortunately. But we really do appreciate your call here. I'm going to put you back on hold and let... Uh, let Bob get some information and talk to you a little bit, if you don't mind. Appreciate that phone call today. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. But all of that stuff flows through to investor expectation on the markets. And when investors get really, really nervous, markets get really, really volatile. And we can actually measure that volatility. We've talked about this before. There's a volatility index through the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. We call that the CBOE because it's a lot easier to say. <laughs> the yeah. CBOE volatility index is called the VIX. And the VIX actually fell slightly to 15.6. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, the higher the number, the more volatile the market. So for reference, over the past year, the VIX has run between 15 and 44. Mm. So while markets may feel volatile today, we're actually at the lower end of that volatility index over the past year. We've definitely seen more volatile points over the past 12 months. Yeah. Now, I said I was going to talk about inflation. <laughs> We've got to. That's that's one of the big financial headlines right now in yeah. the press. Um, this past week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, and remember, she used to be the chairwoman of the Fed. Janet Yellen said this past week that President Biden's $4 trillion spending proposal would actually be a positive for the country, even if it led to higher interest rates. Mm. She said the president's plans total about $400 billion a year, a level of spending that she thinks isn't enough to create an inflation overrun. She said also that a slightly higher interest rate environment could be a plus from a societal and a Fed point of view, 
since the Fed has been combating low inflation and interest rates for a decade now. If you think about the interest rate environment we're in, we've gotten very spoiled for a very long time. Back in 2008, when we had the global financial crisis, the so-called Great Recession, the Fed pulled out all the stops. They lowered interest rates to near zero. They started printing money like mad. They started buying bonds like mad in a thing called they called Operation Twist. And we haven't truly gotten out of that, that mentality, that low interest rate, high liquidity environment for well over a decade now. So she said that if this spending helps alleviate that, then it's a good thing. So you've got you've got one opinion on inflation and federal spending. And then Deutsche Bank came out and said, well, hey, hold on a minute. We're not quite so optimistic. Deutsche Bank is a global bank, uh, big, big name in the financial world. And they said that focusing on stimulus while dismissing inflation fears is a mistake. They said if not for this year... And even not next year, then it could be a big mistake beyond that. They Deutsche Bank issued a very strong opinion saying they feel that this aggressive stimulus and fundamental economic change will lead to inflation and the Fed will have to figure out how to address it. That's a very, very strong opinion from a very, very big wow. name. So far, most on Wall Street agree with the Fed's view that current inflation pressures are transitory they doubt there's going to be a need for policy change anytime soon. Again, to be determined, right? We have to watch these measures as they come in. We watch the numbers, the data, as it is published. So when we got the May inflation number, and it was, forgive me for not knowing the exact number, 4.6, 4.9. It, it was a large number. But you have to remember that large number is compared to a year ago. Where were we one year ago? Mm -hmm. We were on the front end of COVID. We were, in a lot of cases, afraid to go out of our houses, masks, gloves, not letting anybody in, not letting anybody out. We quit spending money. It was a disinflationary time. So if inflation was negative a year ago, and we've come up 4.6% from that, I think most of that is a reflation. It's not if if we had 4.6, 4.9% inflation over a year ago and COVID had never happened, then that would put a big exclamation point on the inflation conversation. But I don't think that that necessarily represents a long-term inflationary trend today. Would you say that uh, spending drives the economy and that maybe possibly fear stifles the economy somewhat? Two questions. Let me answer them both. Does spending drive the economy? You bet your boots. If we look at our GDP, gross domestic product, and we look at the components of that GDP, that number determines the health of our economy. Consumer spending, you and I, going to Best Buy, the gas pump, the grocery store, the movie theater, consumer spending accounts for two-thirds of that GDP number. So absolutely consu consumer spending drives the economy. To your second question, if the consumer gets scared and they quit spending their money, clearly, does yeah. that impact the economy? Absolutely. Yeah, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a, a GDP reading, and, and I don't remember what month it was last year, but when they annualized it, it was something like minus 35%. 
So we've gone from that environment to an environment where people are going back to the store, buying the clothes, going to the movies, going out to eat. I, I was talking to, to a family member yesterday, and she said, we're going out to dinner tonight for the first time, and I can't tell you when. Lots of people are doing that. The spending component of GDP is kicking back in. Yeah, I've been doing that, actually. I went out to eat a couple of nights ago, and I'm just it's enjoyable to feel. And we know I've got the vaccination and all that. Mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of states in the United States, not all of them, but they're allowing you to just do that. You can go back out, and uh, as long as you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear your masks and stuff. And I'll be so glad when we get rid of those masks. I, think, I don't think anybody likes them. No, I, I, I don't think anyone does, but people it's, are are more willing to go out now. People yeah, are so more too. willing to get out and resume a normal life. So we are going to see that in inflation numbers. I just don't think it's anything to be afraid of right now. So, Bob, that's, that means uh, Dean is taking us all out. We're going to have an enjoyable evening out. Crickets. Hey, crickets. you know what? That would be fun. Let's do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, we'll be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show with Dina Alaji in the house. Coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. Listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855 Rose 123. That's 855 767 3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. Nationwide and coast to coast from sea to shining sea. Call now, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show with Dina Ology in the house today. If you'd like to dial in, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. You can ask any questions that you like, and uh, she's here ready to answer those questions. And so that's the number, 855-767-3123. Love to hear from you here today, Dina. 
You know, the fun thing about being on Sirius XM is that we've got people listening from all over the country. And I've actually been pinged. I get some little private messages while we're on the air. And I've been pinged by a number of people in Florida this morning. Really? Yes. So good morning to Renee. Good morning to Donna. And good morning to Rick. Thank you for listening. That's awesome. Yes, that's fun. I love love hearing from you guys down there in the Sunshine State. That's for sure. That's right. I love it when people ping me while the show is on. That's fun. (laughs) It is. So before the break, we were talking about inflation. And any time we're running the risk of inflation, people ask, should I move my money into gold? Because we all recognize and we've, we've heard for years and years and years that gold is a hedge against inflation. And when the CPI goes up, we expect the, the value of gold to grow with that. So when I'm getting these questions, I'm always doing research. I want to make sure we give people the right answer, a good answer that's helpful. And what I found is that gold hasn't always lived up to the hype. So here's a bit of a history lesson on gold. And, and I think the, the bottom line of it <laughs> will be, the punchline is going to be, Maybe it's a good time, maybe it's not, okay? So if I look back at inflationary periods, I I go back and I use a a group called Morningstar. They track the data. So this is is me looking at a firm that specializes in tracking data, okay? And Morningstar looked at some different periods of time. So, for example, from 1980 to 1984, if, if a person invested in gold at the beginning of 1980 and they held it all the way through the end of 1984, they lost 10%. And during that period of time, the average rate of inflation was about 6.5%. So we had a higher than normal inflationary period and gold didn't track with it. We had the same thing from 1988 to 1991. Inflation was roughly 4.6%. And again, the, the assumption is you bought the gold at the beginning of 88, you held it through the end of 91. If you did that, if you held it for those three years, you lost 7.6%. So there are a couple of, of times when investors expected the gold to do well for them in an inflationary environment, and it didn't. Now, from 73 to 79, different story entirely. Inflation averaged roughly 8.8%, and gold was up 35%. That's what people expect. I don't know, and it's it's very hard to determine if this period of time is going to be like that that beautiful seventy three to seventy nine or like one of the others. Mm-hmm. Now, people when they're when they're doing that, when they're considering to use that hedge against inflation, if you wanted to do that, there are better ways than actually buying the physical stuff, right? Isn't it a little bit well, hard to care it, for that? Well, I personally don't like owning the actual physical metal. If you want precious metals, there are a couple of ETFs out there, exchange-traded funds, where if you buy a certain amount or above and you decide, hey, I want to exchange my shares of this ETF for the actual metal, they'll exchange it out for you. Oh, wow. To me, that's the best of both worlds. I can buy the ETF. It's easy to do. I can go to my online investment a program, I can call a financial advisor and I can buy the gold ETF or the silver ETF. Yeah, it's kind of like and, it's backed by the gold and silver standard in a way. In a way. Well, it, these two funds track the spot price of those two metals. Yeah. 
So you're not buying the miners. You're not buying the the refiners. You're actually mm-hmm. buying the metals. That's very neat. Now, in comparison to how gold has acted in those various inflationary environments, I can look at real estate investment trusts, so-called REITs. They've returned positive uh, positive figures, 115 20.4%, 9% in those years from 73 to 79. And in those inflationary periods where gold did not do well, the 1980 to 1984 and the 1988 to 1991, all positive figures. And during that period of time, commodities, interestingly enough, also yielded positive returns. So the big takeaway here, gold isn't always the safe haven investors expect. There's this, there's this thought that, hey, I've got something to hold on to. It's, a, it's an actual physical thing. I can hold on to it. But don't forget, gold can lose value, too. It is important to remain diversified, especially in uncertain times. There's no quick fix on any of this, right? Yeah. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. If you'd like to ask any questions here today of Dina, love to hear from you. Uh, appreciate you listening here today. A couple of interesting little tidbits, and then we'll start talking about financial planning. Did you know? El Salvador became the world's first sovereign nation to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. El Salvador. El Salvador. (laughs) So from now on, their prices are going to be shown in Bitcoin. Their tax contributions can be paid with Bitcoin. And exchanges in Bitcoin will not be subject to a capital gains tax in El Salvador. Interesting. Should we all move to El Salvador? Mm. You go first. (laughs) Okay, you got it. (laughs) Um, China bought fewer American products in May than in April, but exports to the U.S. rose. As a result, China's trade surplus with the U.S. rose to $31.8 billion in May. That's up from $28.1 billion in April. So we're importing more stuff from China than we're exporting to them. Yeah, that's been that way for a while, though, hasn't it? It's been that way for quite a long time, quite a long time. So when we're talking about economic data and we're talking about leading economic indicators, did you know that there's an actual published economic calendar that we can look at and see all of the data that's coming out for the week? Uh, yes, I did know that, but not everybody does, that's for sure. It, it keeps the surprises at a minimum. So this coming week, on Tuesday, we're getting retail sales, producer prices, industrial production, business inventories, and housing market activity. Tuesday's going to be a big data day. Wednesday's going to be a big data day because we're getting housing starts and building permits, import-export prices, and the Federal Open Market Committee, the Fed, will issue their report on their policy decisions. Thursday is jobless claims, the Philadelphia Fed manufacturing outlook, and the leading indicators. So we get a break on Monday and Friday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday are big data days for us. You know, it's interesting you know, when you talk about that. I know that you guys get into these big huddle groups almost immediately when you start hearing these and talking about these things because it does affect your future and some of your investments for sure and your planning in your future. But some of your baseline stuff all stays the same if you've got a good plan, doesn't it? It does. It does. So often when we're talking about investments, we'll talk about a core portfolio, which is that baseball, hot dogs, apple pie 
type of portfolio. And then we will talk about the satellite pieces, the pieces that we expect to add a little extra oomph to the core portfolio. It is those satellite pieces that we will maneuver the most when economic data shifts in a material way. So, for example, if we felt that inflation was going to be really bad for really long, we might back off of our tech allocation. We might back off of our growth allocations and tilt more toward value. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've said for most of the year now that I think the value play that we have seen at the beginning, uh, well, really the first half of the year, I have said for a while now, I think that value play is going to be short-lived. And I think that we're starting to see that rotation back into tech, back into growth as investors settle down about the whole inflation conversation. But yes, to your point, when these when these data points change materially, when we see a trend, and one or two data points doesn't make a trend, right? Mm-hmm. We have to see a trend in different things to make material portfolio changes, but we absolutely will when they're necessary. But you we know do me. Get in, we do get in our little huddle groups. Yes, you do. Um, <laughs> That's kind of it's fun to watch. Our, our huddle group actually meets every morning at 8 o'clock yeah. for 30 minutes just yeah. to check in, and yeah. then our huddle group meets for an entire day once a month. Yeah, these are fun meetings to watch when you get to be the mouse on the wall and such. But, you know, I'm a tech guy. You know, I love technology and things like that. And I think that there are a lot of people that have their – the things that they enjoy and they follow. Mm -hmm. But sometimes Mm -hmm. they tend to invest in that, and it's kind of hard to diversify themselves away from that. And that's not necessarily bad if you find some good value, right? Well, you know, for example, I was talking to a client this week and she was saying, you know what, I have made so much money. And she was telling me she's bought cruise ship stock. She's bought some of the oil companies. Um, She's bought a couple of real growth oriented mutual funds. And she had these huge return numbers. I said, well, when did you buy them? She says, oh, I bought some in March and April last year. Oh, okay. Sort of like the inflation number, right? Yeah. The market was so bottomed out at that point in 2020. You could, it, it was almost like the late 90s, in the late 1990s, yeah. 20th century. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was almost like the late 90s because we could quite literally throw a dart at a Wall Street Journal page, hit a stock, buy the stock, and the stock would make money. Mm-hmm. It was a tech boom like we had never, ever seen. And this past year... If you were a brave investor and you said, you know what, I don't think the country's imploding. I think this is a great buying opportunity. You did make massive returns. That's the old You absolutely did. From here to a year from now, I think making those types of returns is far less likely. Yeah, it's kind of been built in a little bit. But it's the whole buy low, sell high kind of a thing. It's a reverse mentality for a lot of people. It's like, ah, it's it's horrible, it's time to sell. But that's really when you need to buy. Kinda. Well, it, it can be if you're buying good quality stuff. Yeah. I, I After talking with this client, I went through, and again, I researched things. Did you know over the past 12 months, foreign stocks have returned 70%? No, I did not know that. Now you do. <laughs> Guess what? U.S. stocks have returned close to 80%. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little better. And did you know? that returns of 75% or more have happened only five times in the past 140 years. Amazing. All of those happened in the early 1930s as the U.S. was winding out of the Great Depression. 
Well, this COVID was definitely once in a, hopefully once in a lifetime kind of a situation. So. Boy, I hope so. Yeah. Um, the, the past four quarters of financial market returns, specifically here in the U.S., those were the greatest four quarters of return that we've seen in almost 90 years. So what that tells me, and Larry has said this over and over, the easy money has been made. It's important that we keep our focus on long-term investing, not these short-term ups and downs. It's fun to buy a cruise ship stock and see it go up as people are getting back on the boats. That's great. That does not necessarily mean that's a good long-term stock. If you're in that type of investing mindset, I would say make judicious use of stop losses and limit orders. Mm-hmm. Set your set your profit target, and when you hit it, sell, don't look back. That's the way to make those types of trades work very well for you. And, and that's, again, going back to that core portfolio and satellite idea. Mm-hmm. Those trades are satellites. Those are not core. Yeah. And it's also important to remember that you need to follow your plan, right? Because you could be in some in a different area in your life ready to start getting those returns. Or you may be a little bit more aggressive when you're younger and you want That's to make right. some more money. So Absolutely. Get that financial so, plan. Yes. Financial plans are good. Yeah. You need one. Yes. Absolutely. So we, we look to the markets, we look to inflation, we look to leading economic indicators. That's all important stuff for your family financial plan, but that's not the whole financial plan. Remember at the start of the show, I said people tell me all the time, oh, I can do my own financial planning. I can invest my own money. <laughs> and they don't realize that true financial planning has six categories to it, six areas that all dovetail together. They they work together sort of like dominoes. You tip one over, the next one goes, and then the next one, and then the next one. So a true financial plan, what I'll call a comprehensive financial plan, is going to first of all address cash flow, income taxes, protection planning, fancy word for insurance, investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. It's a whole body of knowledge. Yep. Investments are one part of the whole picture. So I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to focus on protection planning because this tends to be uh, the area that doesn't get as much attention as it should. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to buy insurance. Nobody likes insurance, right? If you ask somebody about life insurance or their car insurance or their homeowner's insurance, nobody likes it. Unless you sell it. It's a necessary evil, right? Yeah. But in doing financial planning, and I'm looking at all six of those key areas, insurance has its place because that helps us plan for the unexpected. So the two areas where I'm getting a lot of questions lately, life insurance and long-term care insurance. So um, let's talk about life insurance first. Life insurance is is there it's a tool for us to use to make sure that if we're no longer here to contribute to our family that our family's financial objectives can still be maintained if you're married with 2.3 kids and you want those 2.3 kids to go to college and you die young life insurance proceeds can come into the family to replace your income to ensure that your 2.3 kids can still go to college if you if you if one of you doesn't work, if your spouse or your partner stay at home with the kids and you're the sole breadwinner 
and something happens to you, do you want your spouse or your partner to be able to stay home with the kids or do you want them forced to go back to work? Life insurance gives them the leeway to make that decision. I've heard that life insurance also is used in some cases, and I'm not sure it's wise or not wise. You can answer that question is an investment tool. Uh, some people use it as that. If you've maxed out your 401k plan, if you've maxed out your Roth IRA, if you've got a very healthy non-IRA, non-retirement type of investment account, perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, it's not one of my favorite things. It's down the line a little bit. It, yeah. I have seen cases and I, and I have put together cases where it works wonderfully, but it is not for everybody and you have to know that. A good financial plan is going to help pull out uh, what the shortcomings are, what the, what the pitfalls are along the way. And that analysis can lead you to the right types of insurances. So on life insurance, there's two basic types. There's term, which is exactly what it sounds like. You are buying coverage for a specific period of time. And then there's permanent, these, these so-called cash value policies. If you've got a short-term need for insurance, or even if it's a long-term need, but that at a certain point in time that need is no longer present, term insurance can cover that very well. I have young couples. I will advise them to get a 30-year term policy when their first kid is born. That covers them for the 2.3 kids, however long it takes them to grow up and get through college, and then a few years left over at the end. That's a need that expires at some point. And when they're young like that, it's usually pretty cheap. But you get older, it gets a lot more if you, expensive. If you're young and you're healthy, you don't have high blood pressure, you don't have high cholesterol, your height and weight are proportionate, and all those good things that happen to be in place for most of us when we're young, <laughs> yes, it's very inexpensive. Yeah. And when you buy a term policy at, say, 30 years old, that 30-year term policy lasts you until you're 60, and the price never changes. Mm-hmm. If we buy a permanent policy, it's with the thought that, hey, even past that 30-year mark, there's still a need for coverage. That's going to be a more expensive policy. If I've got if I've got a $500,000 30-year term policy and I've got a $500,000 permanent policy, the permanent policy is going to be more expensive. But there's also the thought that if I'm if I'm layering these policies, right, because I may buy that 30-year term policy to get the kids through college, and I may have a permanent policy that will replace a pension that gets lost if someone passes away prematurely. There, there are plenty of cases where you need both. So, again, back to the financial planning aspect of this whole thing. The important bit is to do the financial plan, find the the potholes in the road, and then find the appropriate products to plug those holes. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. If you've been listening today and you think it's time for you to get a financial plan, remember this phone number, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Important to think about that planning. We'll be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show with Dina Ology in the house coming up. Stay tuned. 
You are listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Now nationwide and coast to coast from sea to shining sea, call now. 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. And here's another Money Minute with Larry Rosenthal. So many different ways to invest money. Lump sum deposits, buy and hold, market timing. How about dollar cost averaging? Put the same amount of money into the same investment at every interval, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever it may be. This gives you the greatest opportunity to get the average price over the long term of the investment because one of the secrets to creating wealth is the acquisition of shares. You want to keep buying more and more shares over time. On the flip side, when you're in your retirement years and you want to distribute dollars to yourself for income, do the same thing in reverse. Dollar cost average out during your retirement years. to the Larry Rosenthal Show, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Deanology is in the house taking your phone calls. If you'd like to dial in with any questions that may have come up during our program or that you're thinking about with regards to your portfolio, now would be a good time to do that. Again, 855-767-3123. Dina. Thanks so much. Before the break, we were talking about life insurance. I want to make one more mention on life insurance that is very, very important. Um, we live in a country where there's just a boatload of what we'll call non-traditional families, blended families, um, where where one spouse comes in with kids, another spouse comes in with kids, and they do the Brady Bunch thing. Or, or maybe you've got one spouse with kids and one spouse with a dog. And, and you want to make sure that the children from the previous relationship are taken care of. You want to make sure that the the financial planning from the the previous relationship to some degree stays in place. And a lot of times this will cause conflict in new families. Um, life insurance is a great way to address that, right? So yeah. if, if you've got spouse A and spouse B and spouse A has kids from a previous relationship and and that spouse wants to make sure that their assets and and their employer-provided insurance go to the kids. It's a very simple fix to make sure that the new spouse is taken care of in addition to the kids. Yeah. Nothing has to be taken away from the kids. You get a separate life insurance policy to take care of the new spouse. There you go. There I you see go. that a lot. I see a lot of arguments between people or disagreements or misunderstandings. It can be a very simple fix, and again, this is assuming people are healthy and can qualify for the coverage. You're going to be surprised what's been coming to my mind when you've been talking about this. It's yours, mine, and ours. Did you ever watch that show? I uh, did not, but I liked the concept. I'm showing you I like the concept a lot. <laughs> it's a great show. Anyway, Robert from Vail, Colorado, welcome to the show. And, uh, your question for Dina today. Yes, thank you for taking my call. My dad got me a universal life insurance policy when I was young. I have a five-year-old. 
do they still do a universal policy? Because I took some money out from that policy. I had about 15, maybe 18 years, and I needed some money during the uh, real estate collapse, and I ended up getting about $1,800, and it came through to help me out. Do they still have universal policy, or should I get one for my five-year-old? You know what? Those policies are still available, and you can get them for your child. You absolutely can. And the great thing about these policies is they are typically what are called flexible premium policies. The amount that you can put in is going to be dependent on the face amount of the policy. So, for example, you could put a whole lot more money into a $250,000 policy than you could a $50,000 policy. But, yes, those absolutely do exist. Um, I have seen instances where having insurance on a child has been a very, very helpful thing. So I, I'm not against that idea at all. Perfect. And are you able to give uh, companies like, say, Pacific Life or Globe? Is there anyone out there that you recommend? Well, I'll tell you what. That's something I would prefer to talk about offline. Can we get your information and maybe chat next week? That would be great. I appreciate your time. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, Robert. Thanks, Robert. What do you What do you do in Vail, Colorado yeah. when it's not wintertime? I mean, it's. Uh, do you have lots of other fun? Do you have things that you can oh, do? Oh, <laughs> I play with my five-year-old. Fishing, hiking, camping, oh, golf, yeah. uh, anything you name it, outdoors. It's a wonderful place to live. God has blessed me to live here so much. Thank you, Robert. Hey, Robert. Uh, off yeah. off topic completely. How's your five-year-old do with fishing? Uh, you know what? We just spin fish. We don't fly fish. He has a hard time casting it, but uh, yeah. he's learning, and uh, I can't wait to get him uh, better off fishing when he gets older. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Too much fun. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate that. 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123. Dina? Well, at Chris, the reason I ask that is you know we've got a five-year-old, and my husband and I took him fishing for the first time last weekend. Wow. And we we did. We did. Um, it was fun, but it was definitely challenging. And just like Robert just said, uh, difficulty casting and, and um, not wanting to just stand there. He's like, where are the fish? Why, is, why are the fish not eating? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good times. I hope good you took times. a video of that. That would have been neat. Um, I, I was about, we thought he had his first fish and I was, and I had, I was getting the phone and I was fumbling with it and he lost it. Oh, so we're going to have to go again. Yes. It'll be fun. But again, that would, that was way off topic. <laughs> We've been talking about life insurance. I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about long-term care insurance. That is one of the places where I often see a significant pothole, a significant shortfall in a financial plan. Long-term care insurance used to be considered nursing home coverage. Um, back in the day when our parents and our grandparents got ill and couldn't be cared for at home anymore, they went into a nursing home. Mm -hmm. These days, long-term care insurance can take care of nursing home costs. It can take care of assisted living costs. Many of the policies also provide coverage for in-home care. So, it's, it's important to take a look at the assets that are present now, any additions that you're going to be making to them, and some assumed rate of growth. And then we do what's called a what-if analysis, and we say, well, what happens if at 76 years old you need to go into a nursing home or require some home care, and what does that do to the assets? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll see a shortfall in that, and the way we cover that is with long-term care insurance. 
in the current environment, there's two ways we can do that. We can buy the traditional long-term care coverage, which pays a set dollar amount a day for a set period of time. So you may see a traditional long-term care policy that offers $150 a day for three years. And at the end of that three-year period, it's done. Mm -hmm. Those products are typically what are called pooled products, meaning that they'll say $150 a day times 365 days in the year times three years. That's the pool of money that you have. So let's suppose you need to use this policy to live at home and have someone come in and help you during the day. And maybe that costs $100 a day instead of $150. That extra $50 stays in the pool. Oh, good. Okay. So you can yes. Yeah. Um, those types of policies, you can buy them jointly with your spouse. You can do what's called a shared care. So if you've each got a, a, a three-year policy, you've got six years combined. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of you only uses two years. There's four years left for the other. For some reason, I thought that those options were actually much more limited than that. So that's kind of good news to have today. The, the, the long-term care insurance industry, they do a very good job of researching claims experience. That's, that's how they get their data. They look to see how many people are making claims. Are they mostly female? Are they mostly male? What's the average age of claim? What's the average cost of the claim? And the type of care that they're getting. And they will... Over time, they will modify the policies to fit the times. Mm -hmm. And that's why in today's world, I can do a policy that offers the same level of, of, of benefit to be cared for at home as in the nursing home. Now, with these policies, of course, you have to qualify to use them. There's usually a requirement that you not be able to do two out of six activities of daily living. Oh, boy. Um, ADL. So there has to be some proof, right? Yeah. I mean, that's but, the case with any of that, I guess. But those, those policies are quite flexible. We can build in inflation coverage so that if it starts at 150 a day today, it increases with the CPI over time so that 20 years from now when you need the policy, it's not still just 150 a day. Okay, we'll get back to that in just a minute. I wanted to bring up uh, Diane here. She's been holding for a little bit. Thanks oh, for good. calling us, Diane. Appreciate you being on the air with us. What's uh, your question for Dina? I was just wondering if there's any way uh, to find out if somebody has a life insurance policy on your life, you know. Because I've had some strange car failures and strange things going on, and <laughs> there's apparently no way to find that out. Is that true? I am not aware of any sort of central repository where you can find that out. Why if does I, that not exist? You know, oh, I, 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 wish I, I wish I knew the answer to that. If I were in your shoes, the one thing I would do is I would call my state insurance commissioner's office and I would ask them that question. Do, okay. you, do you feel that someone has taken a policy out on you that you don't agree with? Well, um, it's very possible because... Um, I'm, I'm divorced, and that didn't go well. And it could be anybody when you think about it. I remember um, a child dying, and the parents, this was on the news, the parents had taken out a life insurance policy on a child, which I thought was really weird. But um, my, I just have had two cars in a row that have electrically failed at high speed. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not a coincidence, I don't think. And it just made me think maybe I could just chat. 
I would call I the state insurance commissioner's yeah, office that's right. because as an adult, um, it, it's one thing, it, it, and it's very, very common for parents to take out life insurance on their children. It is. I've never heard it's, of that. It, yeah. It's very common. Um, my mom did it when I was when I was a child, and in fact, um, a, a couple of callers ago, someone called in whose parents had done that for him, and he was going to do it for his child. That's uh-huh. not uncommon. But as okay. an adult, I have to sign off on anyone getting a life insurance policy on my life. They can't just randomly say, hey. You know, I, I don't I, know if I did that back when I was married or part of, I, I have no, I can't remember that far back. I could have. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'll call the, the commissioner. Thank you for that advice. I appreciate it. Most welcome. Thank you for the call. Thank you, Diana. Okay, ma'am. Appreciate that. Okay, thanks. Bye. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE123. A couple minutes left to kind of wrap things up a little bit there, Dina. Okay, real quick on the long-term care coverage. There's also a hybrid policy. It is a life insurance policy that will pay long-term care benefits if you need it. If you don't need the long-term care benefits, this hybrid policy will pay out a life insurance death benefit when God calls you home. Wow. So there's pros and cons to both. Um, uh, if, if someone is interested in that, they can send us an email. They can leave a message at the office. I'm happy to schedule some time to talk offline about those things. That kind of sounds like the best of both worlds. If you've got that hybrid option, it can be, there are pros and cons of each, Yeah, okay. uh, definitely pros and cons of each. One of the cons of the life insurance angle is that there's no inflation clause built in. So if mm. you, it, you have to kind of back into the math on that, try to predict 20 years down the road what you might need, and then you back into the amount of coverage that would create that that level of nursing home care or long-term care. Okay. So uh, more to it than, I, than we've got time left to explain. Again, happy to address this with anyone in the listening audience who wants more information on that. That would be great. You can also call during the week, by the way. I know that you do not charge for those questions. 855-767-3123-855-ROSE-123. And in the minute we have left, we can kind of summarize what we've been talking about. Well, we talked about the markets. I think that the inflation hype is just that right now. I think we're going to see inflation perhaps spike through the summer as people are going Back to their normal routines. I don't think the inflation fear is a long-term 1970s, 1980s type of idea. Mm -hmm. We will watch it. And, of course, if I'm proven wrong, I will modify my opinion. If you're doing financial planning, if you think you're doing financial planning, please make sure that you've addressed all six areas of financial planning, cash flow, income taxes, protection planning, investments, retirement, and estate planning. If you haven't done all six of those in a comprehensive manner, you've not done true financial planning. And make sure that in doing your financial planning, you do these insurance gap analyses to find out where the pitfalls are. Very good. It's been an enjoyable time with you today, as it always is, Dina. I hope you'll come back soon. I think I'll be back. Good, good. I'm glad. 855-767-3123 is the number to call during the week to ask any questions. And Dina will answer those questions at no charge. Or someone in the office will also take care of you as well. Again, 855-767-3123. Thanks for joining us here today on the Larry Rosenthal Show. We'll catch you again next time with another version. Take care.